The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Today we are starting a new series. It's going to be in select passages, not the whole book. Select passages of 1 Corinthians. And we're calling this series Refocus for reasons I'll explain. I'd like to pray briefly and then Joe's going to read our passage. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill us as the scriptures command us to be continually filled with the Spirit. Fill us even now. Open the eyes of our hearts to behold, to know and understand and apply what we see here in your living and active word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called to be the will of God to be an by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, was, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to first speak to why this series, why this series we're calling Refocus. In Alice in Wonderland, Alice asks the Cheshire cat, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? The Cheshire cat responds, that depends a good deal on where you want to go, where you want to get to. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. The Cheshire cat highlights the vital question Alice was missing. Where are you wanting to go? Where are you seeking to go? You need a clear destination in mind to know which way to go. Alice, you need to know where are you seeking to go? For us, after a pandemic with ongoing political polarization, for us with a high cost of living here causing many to relocate, that's a question we want to refocus. Where are we seeking to go? What's our, what's our destination, you might say? In other words, what's our vision? What's our vision? We describe that vision as glorifying God as a gospel-centered community on a gospel-centered 
mission. And by gospel, I mean the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's what the triune God has accomplished through Jesus' virgin birth, substitutionary or perfect life, substitutionary death, triumphant resurrection, and heavenly ascension and coming return. That's the gospel, the good news. We're seeking to glorify God as a gospel-centered community on a gospel-centered mission. It's an upward vision of glorifying God first and foremost. It's an inward vision of building a community of people around this good news. And it's an outward mission like Nick just talked about, engaging with those around us who don't yet know Christ. But I realize, I realize for some, you hear that phrase gospel-centered and the term sounds cliché. It sounds like an empty, worn-out phrase. You've heard gospel-centered this and, and gospel-centered that so many times that the term has no real meaning for you anymore. Or, or maybe that terminology has been used like a cudgel against you. If you were just more gospel-centered, then you would do X, Y, Z. And I'm sorry if that's been your experience elsewhere. So to help us, I want to adapt a metaphor from author Roger Parrott. In his book on leadership, he compares a powerboat and a sailboat. A powerboat and a sailboat. He says a powerboat looks exciting and gives you a real sense of control. You've got an engine. You can drive that boat wherever you want, from point A to point B. But, he says, a powerboat can only take you so far out in the ocean. Eventually, you're going to run out of gas. He says, a sailboat does not have the same sense of control and might not seem as exciting. But a sailboat can take you much farther than a powerboat ever could. With a sailboat, you just put up the sails. And if there's wind and you're positioned in that wind, you are propelled onward and onward and onward. Well, life without the gospel, the good news at the center, is like living as a powerboat. I'm in control. In my own strength, under my own power, I will get from A to B. But eventually, you're going to run out of gas. You're going to feel exhausted, burned out, or discouraged, realizing you don't have the control you thought you did. But life with this good news at the center is living like that sailboat being propelled on and on and on because the wind filling our sails in the Christian life is this gospel applied. Look at just one verse on your page here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just simply notice verse 18. For the word of the cross, shorthand for the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God filling your sails. That's what we find in 1 Corinthians. The gospel and its benefits filling our sails as that good news is applied. 
You see, the city of Corinth in modern-day Greece was a cosmopolitan seaport. The Apostle Paul had planted a church there on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. He's now on his third missionary journey. He's in the city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, across the Aegean Sea, and word reaches him about divisions in the church over in Corinth. On top of that, he receives a letter from the Corinthians asking him a number of questions. So the letter before you is his response. As he responds to issue after issue after issue, and the solution over and over is the gospel applied. The good news applied. First Corinthians shows us the good news at work in a messy, messy church. First Corinthians is a seminar in practical gospel application, how to fill your sails with the person and work of Jesus. After the challenges of the past few years, we want to refocus ourselves like that. Beginning with these opening verses, this introductory section. Here we find two ways, two main ways the good news fills our sails and propels us forward in the Christian life. Here's the first. First, first God defines our identity through the gospel. First, God defines our identity through this good news. After introducing himself and stressing that he was appointed by God as an apostle, reminding the Corinthians of his divine credentials, the Apostle Paul describes how God has defined these believers in Jesus. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, sanctified is a verb meaning holy. The idea is of being set apart, set apart as holy. You might think of the utensils used in the temple in the Old Testament era. Forks and the like. Nothing Super special in one sense, just a big fork, two-pronged or three-pronged or whatever. But those utensils were incredibly special, incredibly special because they were set apart for God's purposes in that temple. They were holy that way. That's what God is saying about you if you have trusted Jesus Christ. God defines your identity in verse 2 as sanctified, set apart by God and for God as holy. And notice, you are sanctified this way in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That means being spiritually joined to Jesus, spiritually united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You're joined to the risen Christ. So when you see in Christ over and over in Paul's writings, when you see in Christ, you might think gospel or really benefit of the gospel. 
a prime benefit of the gospel, being joined to Jesus. And so receiving all those benefits Christ has purchased for us. Through that good news then, in Christ, you are set apart as holy. And that's a remarkable thing to say about these people in Corinth and that about these people in La Mesa as well. That's a remarkable thing to say. One of my favorite passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which reads, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, in case you are removing yourself from this list, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were you, Tab. And such were you, friend. But, he says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart as holy. All that was true of you, but you've been set apart as holy, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So no matter how checkered your past, the gospel now defines how God views you. Set apart as holy in Christ. And because of that, because of that, verse 2 says next, we are called to be Saints, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So it's not just Jesus and me, but notice, called to be saints. The word for saints is the same root word used for sanctified, meaning Holy. Here it's used as an adjective instead of a verb. So when you see saint, think holy people, God's holy people. So this is saying you were set apart as holy once for all that you might become God's holy people in increasing measure. That you might be more holy in your practice. In other words, even in verse 2, even in verse 2, the apostle is saying to them, God is saying to us, become who you already are in Christ. Become who you already are because of the gospel. It's like what you do when you go back to school shopping and your kid is in a serious growth phase. If you don't have children or your kids aren't growing, Imagine with me, you go back to school shopping and you don't buy clothes that perfectly fit that quickly growing child in August. If you're like me, you don't. Because those clothes will be way too small next June. So if you're like me, you buy clothes a few sizes too big and shoes too big because they're going to grow up into them. That's what this is like in verse 2, in a way. You're already wearing perfectly holy clothing in Christ, set apart that way, but, but those clothes don't 
perfectly fit your practice, let's be honest, nor mine. So God is saying to them and to us, grow up into those clothes more and more over a lifetime. Become more and more of who you are. This is God defining our identity from the outset through the gospel. If you are a Christian here, just ask yourself, who or what most defines your identity? Who or what most defines how you think of yourself? Maybe your age most defines you as you think of things. You're a teenager, a kid, college age, middle age, empty nest, elderly. That's what most defines you, you think. Maybe you think your marital status most defines you. You're single, you're married, divorced, widowed. Maybe you define yourself most by your income or the house you live in or the neighborhood or the car you drive. But shouldn't, friends, shouldn't God's definition most define your identity? Shouldn't God's definition most define how you think of yourself? He says you are set apart as holy in Christ through the gospel. Set apart by him and for him once for all. Is the good news filling your sails at all yet? Starting to yet? God defines who you are. He defines your identity through the gospel. And then, secondly, God transforms us by grace through the gospel. He transforms us by grace through this good news. Look with me at verse 4. Verse 4. The apostle says, I, I thank, I give thanks. I give thanks to my God always, always for you, which would be a great thing for us to practice and say to each other. I thank God always for you, brothers and sisters in Christ. But the apostle is giving thanks always for this divided congregation, some of whom seem rather opposed to him personally. I'm not sure I would be giving thanks always for this particular church. It's easy to give thanks for you. I'm not sure about this church. Why does he always give thanks? Well, verse 4 tells us because, you see it? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. God's grace being his unmerited favor purchased by Christ through the gospel. And here that grace takes a few different forms. Beginning with being gifted for service. By grace first we are gifted for service. Verse 5. He says that in every way you are enriched in him, in Christ, in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that, notice verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, not lacking any charismata, not lacking any grace gift, not lacking any spiritual gift, we usually say, not lacking any gift like that as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Friends, that's profound. Because these grace gifts, these spiritual gifts, are causing all kinds of problems in Corinth. These gifts of speech and knowledge in particular are wreaking havoc. But the apostle here says, I thank God always for the grace given you, including those grace gifts, those spiritual gifts. Why? Well, because they're still good gifts from God given through the gospel. And here's an important lesson for us, isn't it? Don't reject God's grace gifts. Don't reject those spiritual gifts just because others might misuse those gifts sometimes. Misuse does not negate proper use, it's often said. Don't reject these grace gifts for service in the body just because people sometimes misuse them. Instead, use them properly. These spiritual gifts, they are expressions of grace to empower you for service. Let's give thanks for that. We'll talk about that in coming chapters. Grace given, gospel purchased, empowering for service. I think that should fill our sails a bit, shouldn't it? And then he goes on, and grace transforms our lives further as we are confirmed guiltless, he says. Confirmed as guiltless. Look at verse 8 now. Verse 8. Jesus, he says, verse 8, who will sustain or confirm, sustain or confirm you to the end, guiltless or blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could read this as Jesus who will guarantee you to the end. Blameless, guiltless on that great judgment day. He will confirm you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's legal language. It's talking about your legal standing before God on that great judgment day. And on that day, when we stand before Jesus in his holiness as judge, you will not care most about how much money you made in this life. On that day, you will not care most about what house you lived in or what car you drove. You will not care most about your job or anything else. Friends, if you are here and you've, you've yet to trust in Christ, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Please, please track with me at this point. On that coming judgment day, None of those things will matter most to you. What will matter most to you will be being guiltless, blameless before him. The grace coming through the gospel confirms that for you now, if you believe. For all who believe, God guarantees you blameless, guiltless to the end. He is faithful, verse 9 says. He will do it. In other words, through this gospel, you can live with that assurance. You can live your life with that great assurance and hope 
sustained or confirmed, guaranteed, guiltless, blameless for that coming day. Let that fill your, soul, your, sa- your souls and your sails as well. And then one more, friends. One more way this grace through the good news transforms. We are then called into fellowship. We are called into fellowship. Verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called. And here this word might be translated almost summoned. Summoned. That's the kind of calling here. By whom you were called or summoned into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's it's relational language now, not legal, relational now. The faithful God called you into the fellowship of his son, communion with his son by the Holy Spirit through that gospel. It's close personal relationship with, it's personal enjoyment of, ultimately, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mentioned recently I was auditing a class this summer on Trinitarian theology. And I think it was two weeks ago, listening to the last couple of lectures, talking about the privilege of fellowship with the Godhead, fellowship with Christ by the Spirit in light of the Father's love and intention. This this daily opportunity to enter into the eternal love and joy of the Godhead. And I felt prompted, I think by the Holy Spirit, to consider, Tab, where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding your joy on a consistent basis? And we all experience emotional ups and downs. I do, you do, that's normal and natural. But I was realizing in that moment how much of my joy is directly tied to immediate circumstance. If things are going my way, I'm up, I'm happy, I have joy. If things are not going my way, if just traffic is difficult, I'm down, I'm lacking joy. Can you relate? It it struck me there is a basis of joy available that never changes. Every day before me is unchanging joy in the fellowship with Christ by the Spirit. Whether things are going well or not, I can find my joy in fellowship with Him. Fred Sanders, in his outstanding book that I would highly recommend, The Deep Things of God, How the Trinity Changes Everything. The Deep Things of God. Fred Sanders writes, quote, A gospel which is only about the moment of conversion, only about initially coming to Christ, but does not extend to every moment of life in Christ is too small. Let me read that again. A gospel which is only about the moment of conversion, but does not extend to every moment of life in Christ. It's too small. 
Here's a gospel that's not too small in these verses. It's a big gospel of fellowship with Jesus by the Spirit per the Father's design. That's greater joy than when your kids perfectly honor you. As nice as that is. That's greater joy than when your siblings leave your stuff alone or treat you nicely. That's greater joy than having a desired change of circumstances as a single adult. That's greater joy than a new car, new house, new raise, or anything else that could go well for you or me. Friends, here's a big gospel extending to every moment of life in Christ, called into fellowship, summoned into fellowship with Christ by the Holy Spirit. Is this good news starting to fill your sails? Are you seeing why we as a church must refocus our gospel center? Are you seeing why? I mean, these verses already show us, don't they? The believer in Jesus is defined by and transformed by this gospel. I think that's reason to refocus. The believer in Jesus is defined by and transformed by this good news. You see, we don't, we don't want to live the Christian life like a powerboat, thinking we're in control, captain of our own soul, master of our fate, living in our own power, strength, and ability only. Sooner or later, you're going to burn out. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be fried. You're going to run out of gas. We want to live, friends, the Christian life a lot more like a sailboat, experiencing daily a power from outside of us, God's power in and through the good news and its benefits applied. So how do we do that? How do we hoist the sails? Well, this whole series will hopefully show us that, but let me give you a few, few brief thoughts from the outset. I think you can hoist the sails by first acknowledging your need of Christ and His finished work every day. Hoist the sails by beginning your day saying, Jesus, I need you, your life, death, and resurrection. I like to pray pretty often a simple prayer from the Eastern Orthodox Church. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Reminds me of who I am, left to myself, and reminds me, whole lot of mercy coming my way in Jesus. That's what I need. Grant me mercy, Jesus. I know you purchased it for me in the gospel. And then you might hoist the sails by looking for the gospel and its benefits in Holy Scripture as you are reading God's Word. Park on what you see Christ has accomplished for you. Park on who you are and what God has done for you in His Son. Meditate on that. Think over that. Believe those good things, that good news again. In light of these verses today, in light of these verses, hoist the sails by, by realizing your identity as defined by God. 
sanctified, set apart by God and for God as holy in his sight, now by his grace becoming more and more and more of who you already are in Jesus. And realize your transformation by grace here as well. Grace gifting you for service. Grace confirming you as guiltless. Grace calling you into fellowship with Jesus by the Spirit. That, that propels you forward in purpose of serving others, in hope for the last day, and joy for today. Friends, this is why we want to refocus. To know where we are going, as the Cheshire cat asked Alice, and to have the good news filling our sails on a regular basis. Let's pray to that end, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And as we pray, if you're here this morning and you've yet to trust in Christ, I want to give you this opportunity to turn from going your own way, to turn from your sins, to acknowledge your sin to God, and to believe on His Son, to hope only in His life, death, and resurrection, to take away your sins and bring you to God, and He will. He promises not to drive away any who sincerely come to Him. So come to Him through Christ. And if you have believed, maybe right now, ask the Spirit of God to help you see who you are in Christ and rejoice in what Christ has done for you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.